Well, we're getting into a portion of Scripture tonight. Oh, I turned to 2 Corinthians. I was like, wait a second. That's not what I studied earlier. <laughs> we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we're getting into some cultural discussion tonight. I want to preface it by the last three verses in chapter 10. So look in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll look at verses 31, 32, and 33. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. You need to mark that, underline it. We talked about this last week and why it was important. Last week we capped our discussion on idolatry, and we, we, we talked about what was happening in the Corinthian church, specifically that they were partaking in feasts that were for idols, and then they were bringing these practices into the church service, how church was run. This is dangerous because if you were to have a, a, a new person who were to come in and experience this, as the Bible says, should be the gathering together of the body of Christ to be about Christ under his leadership, there's some real questions like, well, I see this down at the, the pagan temple, and there was a lack of discernment with these Corinthian believers to separate themselves from what the world says was okay and separate themselves unto what God says was okay. And the way that they had that was through letters that Paul had written, through things in the Old Testament as well, because we see how Paul called back to the Old Testament and said, see how the Israelites did this? You need to avoid doing that. They need to be your example. Everything was piecing together very nicely. But the problem that they were having was with their liberty that they had in Christ, they were using it for themselves as an occasion to live in the flesh. And that's why Paul says here in verse 31 that whatever they do, it's all-encompassing. Whatsoever you eat or whatsoever you drink, whatsoever you do, do it all for the praise, or excuse me, uh, do it all to the glory of God. This is a great filter wherewith we can put our decisions through. And we talked at length about this last week. But it, I, we could only cover so much last week, and I want to make sure you see these three verses before we move into 1 Corinthians 11. Because this is where a lot of people just like to pick at the Bible. And they, they seem to say, now they can be in the position of judging God and how wrong it is to set these limits and standards on people when we need to recognize, before we even read our passage tonight, God was the one who was here before us. He understands and knows He is the designer of how things should be. We need to be careful of how critical we're willing to get of something that He clearly says in Scripture here. And if we realize that whatever we want to do is for the glory of God, we won't have a problem with these scriptures. Will we wrestle them, especially if we live in a culture that highlights them? Yes, but this is all about being called out, being set apart. We're not supposed to live and act and, and, and be like the world. We're living in the world, but we don't need to live like the world. We're going to make worldly relationships, but we do not need to live for those relationships. Does this make sense? Because if, if, if we're not careful, we'll begin to sin in judgment over God, and that's never a position to take. It's not a good thing when you are looking at the Word of God and saying, that is wrong. That's not right. That's not fair. Whatever the culture says, God's Word is supreme. He is the only authority. This is why 2 Timothy 3.16 is so important. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That is what the Word of God is designed to do. It will bring the lost man to salvation. 
It'll bring the man who has trusted in Jesus Christ to a closer walk with him. We've got to make sure that we see here that this is for the glory of God. Why we live out of this book and why we put this book at the supreme is for the glory of God. His word will never pass away. This earth will, the things that we accumulate will, his word will not pass away. And the attitude of a very disciplined believer is an attitude of, I want to do this for the glory of God. I'm not going to participate in this activity because it doesn't bring glory to God. Just like Paul was saying, if you're sitting with somebody who's offering meat to you to eat at his house, and you find out it was purchased from the, the, the shambles or the meat market where they sacrifice to the idols, eat it. Don't worry about it. But if you're going to be partaking in an idol feast by going somewhere, then you need to, you need to abstain. We have to be careful that our use of liberty does not become a stumbling block to others. And some people may say, well, this is a lot of red tape. It's really not. It's not a lot of red tape. Where the red tape comes in is what the world throws at you. Well, don't you know about this? And don't you know about this? And you don't want to offend that group. And you don't want to offend this person. Those are not barriers that God has put up. Those are barriers that a sinful fallen world has put up. And you have to navigate those through the idea of, I want to do all to the glory of God. And I know it's very easy preaching. And it's hard living because we live with people. We have people in our families who don't understand this. They don't want to understand this. You have neighbors and you have friends and you have co-workers that you're trying to win to Christ. And some people just don't want to be won. And it's very easy to just say, you know what? Since they don't care, I'll demonstrate that I don't care. We've got to be careful with that. Does that bring glory to the Lord? We need to answer that question. And that's a case-by-case basis. But look in verse 32. Give none offense neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. Continue as if there's no chapter break there into the next sentence. Be ye followers of me, even as, even as I also am of Christ. So here's Paul really bearing his heart to a very sick body of believers. They are spiritually sick. They've got a lot of different problems going on. I know that 1 Corinthians 5 was a long time ago, but you remember the sexual immorality that they were having and the problem that they had with one another where they took one another to law outside of the church and the problem they had with idolatry and the problem they had with their liberty. All of these things were the symptoms of sin reigning in, the, in, in those believers' lives. And so Paul says in verses 32 and in 11.1 some very interesting things not seeking mine own profit. Look there in verse 33. Not seeking mine own profit. Paul was not doing these things to make his name great. He was a selfless man. This is the fruit of the Spirit where it talks about meekness, strength held in reserve. Uh, Professor Bob Brooks used to describe meekness as throwing velvet-covered bricks. It's a little violent in, in in the picturing of it, but the idea is being soft with heavy truth. And this is how Paul was living. This is how Paul was writing. And this is how God was using Paul. And he was trying to encourage these Corinthian believers. You guys need to stop being so selfish, making everything about yourself. That is rampant in our culture today. You are the center of your universe, according to 
secular humanism. I mean, look at evolution as an example. If there's something bigger and better and stronger out there, it's eventually going to come after you. So logically, you need to look out for yourself. There's no order. There's no design. Everything just happened from chaos. I love the illustration of taking a watch, disassembling it, putting it into a box. How long will you take? Will it take for those pieces to be shaken into the product of a fully functioning watch that has the correct time that it's been in the box? It doesn't happen. Yet this is what evolution says. And then you have all sorts of psychological experts out there who are trying to dissect the human condition without recognizing you need God to properly understand this condition we're in. And it all becomes about self. You hear that phrase, and I don't really like it, but you do you, and I'll do me. And the idea behind that is, you step off of telling me what to do, and you do what you think is right, and I'll do what I think is right. Does that sound like something in the Bible? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. How'd that work out? How does it work out when we go away from God and do as we please? You often end up in some type of hardship, financial or emotional. There's some type of damage that has been done, and if you're not careful, it can be damage that lasts for the rest of your life. It can become a hindrance upon your ability to reach people. That's just the way it is. We have rules and instructions in here to help us live a life that brings glory to the Lord. And the first step in that is to die to self. It's an aggressive phrase, but it's very deep as well. A death to yourself, to your desires, to the things you want to do, raised to walk again in newness of life, his life, as you see in Galatians 2.20. Paul recognized he's crucified with Christ, but he still has this life to live. And he realized, not my life, his life. I want to live to bring glory to him. And that's why he says here, right after in verse 33, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many. As we live disciplined to the Lord, we become cleaner vessels that can be used to reach people. For what purpose, church? That they may be saved. A great push in the church today is we want to help people, right? I just want to be someone who reaches the community that helps somebody. Okay, well, here's a question that we need to answer. Is what I'm doing by reaching the community leading to the salvation of souls? Because it doesn't matter if I put food in someone's belly or if I put a roof over their head and not give them the gospel and not be able to give them an eternal meal an eternal home in heaven by leading them to Christ. This is why next week when, when uh, Pastor Jim Scudder is here, we support him because he has the resources, the financial resources, the techno, uh, technological resources to go and make grade A programming that not only answers questions about creation and different things like that, but gives people the gospel clearly and often. But what's happening in churches today is it's not about people being saved. And if it is about people being saved, it's about being saved from physical things like hunger or homelessness or other things like that. You know, the greatest thing we can do for the homeless is reach them with the gospel. I don't know if you've had experience with this, but I've talked to many homeless people that already understand the gospel. It's quite interesting. 
but someone has reached them. And you can couple that with a gift card somewhere. You can definitely do that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when our whole focus becomes the humanitarian side, we have a problem with this verse here. It's not leading to the salvation of souls. That's often a critique against the way that we teach at Florida Bible College of Tampa. Well, it's all about the gospel. It's all about salvation. Friend, that's all it is ever going to be about. (laughs) There's not going to be someone in heaven that got there because you provided a meal for them. Or that we open up our church for, you know, for people to come in. Or we, and we've done these things before. We've had fundraisers. We've had all types of things that are trying to reach our community. I want to have a community-driven church, but not without sharing the gospel. I don't want that kind of community outreach. What's the point? I want to help people where they are, meet them where they are in their spiritual need. And that is why we sacrifice different parts of our liberty. Things that we can do, we say, no, It doesn't bring uh, glory to the Lord. But I can't do that for you. I tell the teenagers this all the time. I cannot walk with the Lord for you. You have to do that. And it's powerful for these teenagers because they realize, number one, this is a choice that I have to make. And they begin to weigh how important is it to live a disciplined life. And that's when you start to see things work in a young person's life. Because now they have the Bible to go by and not some junk that's on their social media apps. And trust me, that junk is there and it is abundant. It's abundant. So then he culminates in chapter 11, verse 1. He says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Again, Jesus Christ is our example. He's not just a good guy that did it. He is God in the flesh who we are supposed to live after. And that's exactly what Paul says here. This is why we need to be careful about idolizing our pastors and our teachers and those who are on radio and TV. They're just bags of flesh like you and me. Okay, they have their own problems and they have a lot of things that are going on. We ought not put them on the same level as as Jesus Christ. This is what happens when we talked about this morning. People getting caught up in somebody because they have a a big following. We need to be careful of that. We need to discern. We need to be able to say, even though this guy has a great following and a great amount of people behind him, he's got some problems here in the Bible. And, and we need to now make a decision. Is it this man who's right, or is it God's Word that's right? But people don't know how to make that decision. So now we're going to transition here into what was at the time a discussion about proper head coverings. Now, I do not believe that this means at Calvary Community Church we need to start enacting these principles today. The bigger problem that the Corinthian church was facing was an abuse of their liberty. They were willingly going to the extreme with what they could do. And it was beginning to get hard to discern a Christian gathering from a pagan gathering. Well, all is forgiven. God has paid for all my sin. What does it matter? Read Romans 6, (laughs) and it tells you about that. But look what it says here in verses 2 through 7. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. He's softening them up a little bit to get into some deeper things. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. Now this is where people get offended. 
Because for some reason, people read this and say, man is greater than woman. It doesn't say that. That's bad hermeneutics. That is a bad way to study the Bible. But the feminist movement attacks these passages because they put their hands on their hips and they say, God is anti-woman. Do you know the woman has the most important job in the family? To raise the children? (laughs) You were once a child. I know it's hard to believe, but you were. You were once a child and there had to be somebody that raised you and took care of you. And the mother in that home is vastly important to the success of those children. Look at the statistics today. The statistics of a child coming out and living a successful life, really on a financial scale, but just a a, a better quality life, is drastically higher from a two-parent household. And I have to say today, I don't mean this as a joke, a mother and father, because there's a real attack for two fathers or two mothers. And that just doesn't work. It's not how the Bible put it. Then if you take the parent out of the home, the success of the child goes down. It is harder. I'm sure some of you have been in families where there's a divorce that's happened. And if there's children involved, it is hard on those children. People become petty and difficult. And it becomes increasingly hard for that child to be able to communicate or see who's the authority here. That's because it's outside of God's design. But what this says here is there is an order. There is a natural order in which God has built the family model. And that model is also to be repeated in the church, in the carrying out of the church services, particularly here of the ordinances in baptism and in the Lord's Supper, the preaching and teaching of God's Word. So let's continue. Every man praying or prophesying Having his head covered dishonoreth his head, but every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even all as if she were shaven. The cultural norm in this time was talking about how men ought not come into the gathering of the believers specifically for the ordinances, for the teaching of God's word, and have their head covered. They have a veil over their head or they have some type of hood over the head because It is a picture of how God designed the man to be after the glory of God. And so it appears here that the Corinthian church was having men come in to service unprepared to give a good image of what Christianity is. Now, Christianity is not following rules, but it was becoming increasingly difficult for the Corinthians to separate themselves from these worldly practices And then also, the women were coming in, and they were not only abandoning their natural covering, but they were also abandoning their physical covering that they had. If you look in Middle Eastern cultures, especially around this time in about AD 56, but especially now, women are covered out of respect for their husband. That's how it should be. But of course, in Islam, it's, it's, it's used in a very different way. But there were problems now with these women, their probably immodest in their gathering, and they're even coming to the point where they're shaving their heads, which is how many temple prostitutes prepared themselves. I mean, that's a problem. That's a huge problem. 
And he's addressing it here. Verse 6. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be, it, but if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. This is the next verse that the modern movements today like to use to discredit the Bible. Isn't it amazing that six verses in one book can turn a person off from Christianity? <laughs> I really question if that person is seeking truth or if they're just seeking comfort for their own sin. But as he says here going on in verse 7 at the end, the woman is the glory of man. This is not the first time that this is addressed. So I want you to look over in uh, Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 22. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 22. You can hold on to your place there in 1 Corinthians 11. There's a natural order within marriage that ought to be repeated within the church. Look in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22, page 1254 in a church loan Bible. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in every thing. Now, again, people read into this that this is some type of slave and master relationship. It's not there. The Bible does not teach this. The man is not free to do as he pleases. I would like to propose that the man has greater responsibility on him to stand up for his home for the Lord. In this time, standing up for your faith in Jesus Christ could cause your wife to be taken from you and raped and, and brutally assaulted. Your children could be pulled from you and killed. Your livestock, your home could be burned. That's a great responsibility. And the woman is supposed to support her husband and submit to him as he submits to the Lord. They're both submitting to the Lord together. It's not some greater than or less than. It is order how God has intended it. Continue on in verse 25. There's instructions for husbands here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Boy, you think there'd be more marriages that stayed together if men loved their wives the way God loves them through His Son Jesus? I mean, what kind of love are we talking about? Think about that. What kind of love are we talking about? An all-inclusive, all-forgiving, unconditional love. Divorces happen not because kids come in to the marriage or because of financial problems. It's when people lose respect for one another. It's when the wife rolls her eyes publicly at a comment that her husband made. Or when the husband taps on his friend's shoulder to point and laugh at his wife about something. That is not love. Jesus is not up there laughing at us, speaking ill of us. In fact, He intercedes for us. 
And the love that was demonstrated to us on the cross is how we should love our spouses. And there's a great shortage of good godly men in the world today. The world has men... I'm not going to use that phrase. But there is just a great reduction in what a man is. Men are not willing to make sacrifices anymore. Men hide behind computer screens and you know, cultural things, and there's, there's, there's more of a tendency for men to become more and more effeminate. Where are all the good men at? I see a lot, because my wife, Kyla, has somewhat of a little ministry where she seeks out these Christian girls on Instagram, and they have Bible studies and different things, and she'll go on there and she'll start a conversation with them and talk to them about the gospel. But so many of these young women, they get it. They get what Jesus Christ has done for them, but they can't find a good man. They can't find a good one. Someone who's willing to think less of himself and more of the Lord and live for that. I'm telling you, we would have an infinite better quality of relationships if we loved our spouses unconditionally. Look at verse 26. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Ah, what a beautiful picture of you and me in the body of Christ. And also focus there on verse 26 about how are we made clean as we walk with the Lord? By the washing of the Word. You being here tonight in verse-by-verse Bible study, you're getting a bath (laughs) if you'll allow it. Verse 29. Excuse me, verse 20, 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hateth his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. You see the order there? They leave their home, they find the wife, they become attached to them in one flesh, and then they dwell together. You know what the world has said? No, let's flip it. you got to live with them to find out if you can really be with them. <laughs> like it's a trial, and people are offering up their bodies in this. Verse 32. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. It's easier for the wife to be submissive to a husband that loves her. But a husband that is mean and unkind and vindictive and nasty, it's difficult to love that man. Look back now in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You can let that Ephesians passage go. We left off there in verse 8. For the ma- I said 1 Corinthians 6, but it's 1 Corinthians 11. In verse 8. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power or covering on her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither is man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. This is a rebuttal to what the world says about this passage being 
air quote, out of date. This says very clearly that there is not one that is greater than the other. The church is not supposed to be all just men and the women are sitting outside waiting for the men to be done. It's a gathering of men and women together giving praises to the Lord and demonstrating order throughout the functioning of the service. Now I want you to hold your place here because we covered a couple of things about, or actually we need, we need to cover verse uh, 12. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Man, woman, both creations of God, both with their own specific talents and abilities and weaknesses as well because of sin, supposed to be operating together. What does that look like? Well, let's look. We're going to look at two more passages here, so hold your place in 1 Corinthians 11 and look over in Titus. Titus chapter 2. in verses 1 through 10. Page 1284. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, love, in patience. This is how the men are ought, this is how the men should behave themselves within the function of a church service. The aged women likewise that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given too much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober. Well, this sounds exactly like how we are able to function within Sunday school classes. There is a job for the women in the church to teach the young women to continue to live discipline and and gravely, and I don't mean that like as in a sour way, but a, a disciplined, set-apart life, so that they can, when they become their age, do the same to the ones who are younger. As it, as it continues here, to love their husbands. Remember, we just talked about that in Ephesians 5. To love their children. To be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the Word of God be not blasphemed. So there's the role of the women within the church, all the different things that they can do. This is why women's ministry is so important. But some legalists, believers like you and me, but they're legalists, take this to the extreme. And they, they, they don't know what to really do with these passages because they've become so hard and callous towards anything a woman does in the church. Listen, I think it's fine. If, a, if we have a ladies' Sunday school class. And I think it's fine that in a collegiate setting that a lady teaches. I don't think there's any problem with that either. It's when the woman begins to usurp the authority of a man that there's a problem. Because that's not how the order is set. That's not how God has designed it. Continue on here in verse 6. More roles for the young men. Likewise, verse 6, exhort to be sober-minded in all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works, that's consistency. In doctrine, the things we teach, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity. Sound speech, this is clear speech that cannot be condemned. Interesting how we can look at this command and rightly question the modern movement of tongues. Is the modern movement of tongues sound speech? No. 
It's gobbledygook. You don't really understand what it is. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. The way we're supposed to live our lives is so set apart that even our enemies will not have things said against us. Verse 9, exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, not showing, excuse me, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Verse 11, for the grace of God hath, that, that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. This is where the Corinthian church was falling apart. They weren't doing these things. So they weren't able to deny ungodliness. They were welcoming that ungodliness in and celebrating it. They were bringing it to the Lord's table. Worldly lusts, it was the definition of who they were. Were they living soberly? They weren't living seriously, and unfortunately a lot of them were not sober. Given to much wine they were. Righteously and goodly in this present world. I think that God recognizes that it will be a struggle here for us, but gives us a way out by aligning ourselves with His Word. So now go back to, uh, or excuse me, uh, let Titus go and go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, page 13, 14. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Likewise, you wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the behavior or the conversation of, their, of the wives. What an amazing power here that the wife of a disobedient man can win him by simply relying on the Lord and living after him. Whoa. The power of conviction through the Holy Spirit in that man's life by the obedience of his wife. But what happens today? Unfortunately, women are told, find a way to get out. Find a way to leave. As if we can put the dice back into the cup and roll exactly what we want with the next one. It's difficult, and it's often not able to be done. Verse 2, While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, Whose adorning let it not be that outward adorning of plating the hair and of wearing of gold or of putting on of apparel? This is interesting. Isn't it? I don't, it's not a coincidence, but that the world tells young women you need to look this way and be this way to have value? That is not where the value of a woman is. Look at what it says in verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Your new nature, young ladies. Your born-again new nature is how you should live. And that did cost God a great price, His Son. Continue on in verse 5. For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also, who trusted in God, Universally, before we even look at who these women were, it's said of them they trusted in God. The women in the Corinthian church were trusting in themselves, not for salvation, but in the living of their life. I'm going to shave my head. 
I'm going to be inappropriate in the service, in the things I say, and the things I do. The men not taking responsibility, dressing as what a woman would dress. How is that effective? Can you imagine? It, it wasn't effective, and that was the problem. And that's why Paul was chasing them here. But look at what Peter says, continue on. Who trusted in God, adorning themselves, being in subjection unto their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as ye do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Roles for the wife and roles for the husband within the operation of the church. So now we'll finish in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Pick up there in verse 13. Verse 13, 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen, 13. Judge in yourselves. Paul presents a judgment for them. You guys need to make a decision. And he's going to lay out some questions. Is it comely that a woman pray unto God uncovered? The answer to that question, according to what Paul had listed out here before, was no, it was a shame. But what was happening in the Corinthian church? They were, it was hard to discern them from regular Christians or just people that were about some type of business with a temple prostitute. That's a, that's a horrible thing. It ought not be said about a church. Verse 14, Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Boy, I, I've been asked more about this verse than I've been asked about you know, James chapter 2, faith without works is dead. People are more concerned with this verse and whether they want to be a Christian or not, then about more extremely difficult passages in Scripture. Some will ask me, what's your position? My, 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 my position is, is clear as what the Scripture says here. Nature does not show that man naturally has long hair. And of course, people want to say, what about the Nazarites who took that uh, Nazarene vow? They, the, their long hair was for humility. It was not for... Uh, it, it was not a, a, a design choice or a, you know, a fashion accessory. Now, does that mean that every person that has long hair, I will not have fellowship with them? No, that's silly. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying here either. But they were having people in the church, running their church services, who were a shame to the outside world. The Jews and the Greeks kept men's hair short. I don't think that Christ had long hair. And some people are like, oh, what? Have you looked at the shroud of whatever? Yeah, but that I've looked at Scripture too. Scripture beats that shroud out. Okay? And, and what, what, what's important for you and I to take away from this here is we now, it is not now our mission to be barbers. Okay? And, ooh, well, let me make you more godly. You reach people where they are, and if, if, if you have the opportunity to be in a position of leadership like I am, like my elders are, like my deacons are, we have requirements that we think are biblical. If people don't want to submit to that, I know this sounds harsh, but it's, this, is not, this role of leadership is not correct for you. Because there are portions of Scripture that speak about these things. Now, I don't think that Paul stopped witnessing to people that dressed this way or did these things. I think it's really pathetic, though, 
that so many people like to grab this verse, and if you think about it, this will be the only defense they have at the great white throne judgment of why they wouldn't trust in Jesus Christ because you discriminated against people that had long hair. First of all, Paul's not the one doing the discrimination here. It is God who has set up the standards. As it says here, doth not even nature itself teach you. I, I remember trying to grow long hair in high school. Now, many of you know how this joke ends. Okay? But it just, it just never worked. It just never worked. My father the same way. I am actually the most obedient one here. Because I shaved my head. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm joking. Please take that as a joke. <laughs> but the, the important thing to recognize here is this was not just a custom of the day. This is how nature has taught it. Verse 15. But if a woman have long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given for her a covering. But if any man seem to be contentious, we have no such custom, neither the churches of God. If it's being pushed and pushed and pushed, this issue about long hair, all these different things, you need to be careful as to what you're going to call out and separate. If there's a man who wants to be willing and lead a church and do what is right and lead souls to Christ, but he doesn't want to shave his head, I don't know if I'd have him on as a pastor here, but if he wants to go out and pastor a church, I'm going to let him go and do that. I'm not going to die on this hill. Do you understand what I mean by that? And it's important that we recognize there's a greater issue that is being addressed. It was not the first thing that Paul saw. It's not like, whoa, look at the length of these guys' hair. I really need to write about that. There were much greater issues. It's the same thing when you get sick. It's not, okay, when you get pneumonia, right? It's not you're diagnosed with a bad cough first. Like, oh, they have the cough. The cough is a symptom of a greater problem. Okay? The women who were usurping authority, the men who were not taking authority, the dress that they were proposing them, or, uh, preparing themselves for in worship were symptoms of a greater problem. And Paul is now just addressing the symptoms. But overall, the arc is you need to be called out. You need to be set apart. Stop living like the lost man. I mean, in churches today, I, I cringe when I see pastors 50, 60 years old wearing jeans so tight if they went to go turn their microphone off, they would be in indecent exposure. It's all for the sake of, well, we want to reach more people. That's not how we reach people. You know how we reach people? The uniqueness of that message of Jesus Christ. You know when people say to me, you mean I can go do this, this, and this kind of sin and believe on Jesus Christ for all my sin, His death, burial, and resurrection, and I'll still go to heaven? When people ask that question, they're getting grace. They're understanding it. Yes, you can. It's a crude way to put it. And I wouldn't advise you do that. You can live in sin, but you won't get away with it. You'll be disciplined. You'll be chastened. But if you believed on Jesus Christ, you're saved forever. That's how we reach people. I'm not going to start coming up in here in super tight shirts and skinny jeans. 
My mother-in-law is laughing because she understands. <laughs> That's not how we reach people. I'm not going to start swearing in my messages so that I identify more with the lost. You say, that's not happening. And I say, it is. I'm not going to boast about my sin in an effort to communicate with the lost person. No way. You say, that's not happening. Yes, it is. There are some horrible, really, in my view, silly things happening in church today. People are still allowing themselves to be bit by snakes. It's illegal in Kentucky, these kind of churches, but they're still having them. And you know what? People are still dying from snake bites. Things out of context. See, somebody got in that young person's mind and told them, that's the sign that you're saved. And that it ought not be that way. That's what makes me grit my teeth. That's what makes my heart ache for people that are caught in bad doctrine. Now, outside of church, I dress like a Florida man. I love my Sperry's. I love comfortable shorts. And I love shirts that button up that are short-sleeved. I enjoy that. But when I come to prepare God's Word, I want to show order. And that's not a two-faced thing. I'm not going to try it. I don't think there's a lost man coming in here saying, oh good, someone who's dressed like me up there. They're going to be worried about greater things if you're giving them the Gospel. They're going to be worried about their need for a Savior. And hopefully you have made the gospel clear enough to where they'll be able to make a decision. So we've covered the portion, you know, that everybody likes to nitpick, and now you have some good stuff to say to people. Remember, it's not really that they have a problem with these verses. They have a problem with something else. Something else. And they're just using these as an excuse. But isn't it great that God saves even the doubters and the skeptics if they will trust in Him? That God has offered eternal life to them as well. It's easy for us to be like, oh, no, 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 not them, because you know that's, they're, they're so mean to God. No, God offered it to them too. Offered what? I'll show you here. This hand represents you and me. My wallet represents sin. I'm going to put this on top of my hand because the Bible says we have all sinned. God, He loves us, hates this sin because this sin separates us from Him. In order to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, just like God, but we're not. We all have sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. It's not turning over a new leaf. It's not turning it into something else, making it look and appear as something it is not. It is death, eternal separation from God forever in a fire-burning hell. That's the penalty for sin. If this piece of paper here were to represent all of my Good works, it's a good representation here. It's green, it looks like money, you know, because people do think, well, I can, I can pay off my sin. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, not good works. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He was perfect, fully God and fully man. You know what he did. He went to the cross, he, was, he died, he was buried, and he rose again. But what did he do? John 3, 16, for God... So love the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that's Jesus Christ, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. In John 5.24, He that heareth Me is passed from death unto life and shall never be again be brought into condemnation. Look, that means this can't be put back on you. That would not be a just God. 
that would be a God of mischief, a God of confusion. That sin is paid once and for all. And if you simply believe on Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection as a payment for your sin, you receive eternal life. The sin is gone, and we are in a right relationship with God forever. Forever. But can we start acting up? Can we start be, you know, uh, require some discipline if we're not careful? Uh, yes, we absolutely can. Don't let those teachers out there tell you there's no such thing as a carnal Christian. That's a lie. Take all of 1 Corinthians out of the Bible. Because who's Paul writing to then? If they weren't carnal Christians, then if there are no carnal Christians, then why were the Corinthians having such a problem? It's like the doctrine of Christian science. You're not really sick. You just think you're sick. There's a lot of Christian scientists that think they're dead. Interesting. <laughs> see, there's man's truth and there's God's truth. Let's seek after God's truth. Amen? All right. Will you join me in prayer? Heads are bowed, please, and eyes are closed. If you're here this evening and you do not have assurance of heaven, you are not sure that you're going to heaven, maybe you've never heard the gospel or you've heard it many times, but you're still holding on to one thing as a backup. Friend, I want to encourage you right where you are to just put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. He did die on that cross. He was buried and rose again. Believe on that and you receive the free gift of everlasting life. I'd love to rejoice with you and heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If there's anyone here that has believed on the Lord Jesus Christ today for the first time, I want to pray with you. Would you just raise your hand and let me know? That raising of hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that you have put your trust in Jesus Christ today. Anyone at all before we close. And of course, if you're watching online and you have believed, I want to encourage you to drop a comment, send us an email, info at calvaryoftampa.org. Or if you're on our live stream, click the button that says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so, so thankful for the clarity of your word. Bring us back here safely on Wednesday evening. We think of all of those who are in need of prayer tonight for recovery for Nuri, uh, Daro's friend, uh, Marie, who has a very serious situation, and we pray that you heal her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you enjoyed today's episode of Bible Line, make sure to subscribe to the channel and share this video with a friend. Do you have a Bible question? Send us an email, questions at BibleLineMinistries.org, and we'll do our best to get you an answer. Or you can leave your question in the comments of this video. Be sure to check the links in the description for more clear Bible teaching. Bible Line is a ministry of Calvary Community Church located in Tampa, Florida.